Hello and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 19 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. Following being sacked by id Software, Doom and Quake level designer stroke programmer America McGee joined Electronic Arts and put his name to a twisted reimagining, inspired in part by his own less than conventional childhood, of Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. After establishing the Spicy Horse Studio in 2007, he began work on a sequel also free eight, released in 2011, Alice Madness Returns, concerns Alice's continual battles with her damaged psyche. Warning, there will almost definitely be spoilers in this podcast. Joining me, Leon Cox, on this issue, Tony Atkins. Hello. James Carter. Hello. And Darren Gargett. Howdy. Howdy. So, uh, what I didn't mention there at the start, I forgot, was to say that American McGee's Alice came out in the year 2000, which is, uh, that's quite a gap between uh, first and second game in a series. The thing I remember at the time, I didn't play it, although I did have a PC that probably could have played it. It used the Quake 3 Arena engine, so it was, um, it, which, you know, that was a good engine, but it wasn't especially demanding of high-level hardware, as I recall. Um, but the thing I remember about it was, who the fuck is American McGee? <laughs> like, over here, it was like, you know, I obviously I knew Doom and Quake and id Software, but there were two names associated with that company, obviously Carmack and Romero. Um, did anyone know who American McGee was when this came out? No, I, don't. I didn't even know American was a first name, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was some sort of stunt they had managed to pull and this guy had named himself American, uh, just for the no, sake of it. apparently he had a hippie mum. It's one of those sort of, it's like the, uh, the Phoenix family, you know, where they were called River and Leaf and Tree and Rain and all that. Um, I think uh, his mother decided that uh, American was a a sensible um, first name for somebody to have. Patriotic, I'll give you that. Uh, his middle name's James, so um, that's, yeah, he could have just been Jimmy McGee or something like that, but Jimmy McGee's Alice would have sounded weird. Would have, yeah. So, um, I guess your first thought when you see, uh, it, you know, there aren't many games. Sid Meier, he's, he's one. Can anyone think of anyone, uh, another designer who gets his name on the box like that? Steven Spielberg, technically. Oh, what, and Boom Blocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he totally programmed that game from oh, the ground yeah, up. Oh, yeah, without doubt. Yeah, brilliant game. Love Boom Blocks, but what the hell that ever had to do with Spielberg is just... Of all the games, like, you know, Medal of Honor, that had an association with Spielberg. That made sense. Band of Brothers, Saving Private Ryan. But Boom Blocks... Mm. <laughs> uh, but that's, yeah, Steven Spielberg. Schaefer, maybe. I was going to say Tim Schafer with Psychonauts. I've he must be on the front somewhere. If not, he deserves, mm, he deserves to I be. I think I think there might be a nod to him, but it's not it's not Tim Schafer's Psychonauts. Ah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Will Wright. Will Wright Sims? No, no, that doesn't happen. He was above. You spore, don't even. Will Wright Spore. Yeah, yeah Spore. He was. Oh, okay, right. Um, but yeah, the Hauser brothers. They're not on. They're not on GTA. Uh, Chris and Tim Stampers. Banjo Kazooie. No. Uh, Clyde Barker's happen. Jericho. Clive Parker's Jericho. Well, that was only because of the book, I guess. <laughs> and John Woo's Stranglehold it? for the same reason. Yeah, these people have nothing to do with the game, pretty much. Yeah, they? this is just selling I, off I the name. I think it should be Cliff Blazinski's Gears of War. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Come but on. then that rod, that big rod guy, might be upset because it's you rod, know, rod Ferguson. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the the two Canadian doctors Mass Effect that could happen. Mm. So, but I mean, the point being is, 
do we expect this on in cinema? I, I suppose it happens as we already mentioned. Steven Spielberg, he certainly has you know very much a billion at the front of every film he does, yeah. as it's a mark of quality well, to a lot of people. Yeah, but his films aren't called Steven Spielberg's something. Um, you know, not like uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> which is a real title. I mean, that's absolutely absurd, isn't it? But, yeah, I mean, you'll get Steven Spielberg on the poster, but it's a whole other thing actually having the name of the director in the title. You wouldn't have that, would you? Um, no, but, but we're in, in this industry. You don't even have the directors. It, it's so hard because who, this industry has so many people that work on games, but, you know, it, equally so does film. Yeah, but totally. But you, you, gen, you generally do have the director as a prominent... Uh, place on a movie poster, for, for instance. Yeah, and they I can remember. actually sell a film just by it being them as the director. Yeah, which is why this was a weird one because if you think about you know back in two thousand when this came out, there were or there were fewer sort of name developers mm -hmm. then, but there was I mean Sid Meier's name was already going on games back in the nineties, um, and a, a few people had tried this sort of thing before. If although they hadn't incorporated the name in the titles. There was, uh, I remember there were, there were lots of um, sort of ructions in the arcade industry because the, uh, the vid kids at Williams, <laughs> um, Eugene Jarvis and that, they, they put their names on coin ops. But then I think there were, I think it was Atari coin ops didn't allow people to put their credits in or, or, um, or their names at all. Atari VCS games, I believe, there's, you know, famously there's um, secret screens in certain games which uh, easter eggs where you can find the initials of the developers and stuff like that um, I remember having some Activision carts for the Atari in the um, early to mid 80s which they started to feature both a picture and the signature of the author on the box and this was of course when a game was written probably by one person maybe two if somebody else but on, on the VCS you wouldn't have had a dedicated sound person because it was pretty much just white noise and beeps but um, Carol Shaw's River Raid you see it's not called Carol Shaw's River Raid but I remember Carol picture of Carol Shaw on the box mm. and David Crane did it and then there were a few years later about uh, early 90s uh, Renegade Software who started uh, they were um, a spin-off of the Rhythm King music label um, they uh, they they started a software label, um, and they signed up the likes of the Bitmap Brothers, who were already a sort of name developer, and Sensible Software, and they put their names on the box as well, and sort of put them up front and centre, rather than it always being about the publisher stroke distributor. But yeah, does, does um, it help any? I mean, if Peter Molyneux, for instance, which is another one of these you know, marquee director <laughs> game designers, I guess. Um, would it help any if it, he was on the front of the Fable box? You know, Peter Molyneux's Fable 3 or whatever it Peter Molyneux's failed promises. Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes it could obviously work against a project, but I, I don't yeah. necessarily think it's a bad thing. I, I, well, Kojima not, is, is, you know, is pretty oh, close, because yeah, Kojima yeah. Productions... Yeah, you know. so his name's there. I, I wonder um, if it's more about... Because um, obviously Nintendo started putting their seal of approval on every... <laughs> yeah, two dollar piece of rubbish that they put out for any any system. But is it is it actually a stamp of of uh, quality, or is it just um, taking you know a director taking ownership of it and trying to aspire to be something more like the movies, you know, more like film? Well, I got to say, you know, in, back in two thousand, I was already a twenty seven eight year old man, and I was you know already a massive video games nerd fan, and I knew 
I knew my shit then as well. You know, I knew my developers. I knew, and so this game coming out with this name I'd never heard of actually worked the opposite way for me because I was like, well, if this guy was any good, you'd have heard of him. I'd have, I'd, I'd have heard yeah. of him. But it turns out that he was, uh, you know, as I say, I only found out recently that he was part of id and worked on Quake yeah. and Doom. Um, perhaps, you know, perhaps if I was more of a PC gamer and and perhaps if I was more first-person shooter-centric at that point, I'd have been more aware. But this was 2000, you know, I've been playing, I've been playing PC and first-person shooters for a while and still like, I don't know. Um, American McGee himself said to, uh, in an interview with IGN last year, uh, when they asked him why, you know, you stamp your name on games, uh, why? He says, uh, it's not easy to answer because it's not always something that's completely in my hands. Of course, at the end of the day on the first Alice, I had to give permission for this thing to happen. But the idea didn't necessarily originate with me. At the same time, it's difficult when somebody says, can we brand this name on the product to say no? And I'd say having done so, saying no, that is, would have been a mistake. I'm glad we did because it's opened a lot of opportunities over the years. Hmm. So why don't more do it? You see, now I'm strongly reminded of uh, Ubisoft buying the rights, the the indefinite rights Tom to Tom Clancy. Clancy's mm. name a few years ago. Mm. They actually bought that just as a label to put on it. So obviously this isn't the case here because American McGee, as far as we know, is involved in the games. Um, yeah, absolutely. But Alice Madness Returns wasn't American McGee's Alice Madness Returns. His name was on the bottom of the box as a yeah. as a sort of underwritten uh, involvement, but it was still there. Yeah, I don't know why they took that step backwards in that in that respect. Maybe they just thought American McGee's Alice Madness Returns was, was too, too, much. too much of a mouthful. Yeah. But how much did um, Tom Clancy help sell Hawks, for instance? You know, the pretty unrelated game, but he'd done some sort of story in it, and they stuck Tom Clancy on the front of it. Did it actually help Shift sell copies? I mean, did it sell copies just because his name was on the front of it, or would it have been a title that just disappeared but with no fan? It's hard whatsoever? to prove, but I would say almost mm. certainly, because you immediately yeah, get anyone mean. who plays Rainbow Six games or Splinter Cell games, they notice it says yeah. Tom Clancy on it. And anyone who's it's seen almost any of the films, you know, as well, so... Yeah, it's almost like badging a game that wasn't part of a franchise as part of a franchise that it wasn't, you know, thinking about a reskinning of a game, whether it be, you know, Doki Doki Panic becoming Super Mario Brothers 2 or something like that. It's it's using an established name to, to shift more copies. It is weird, isn't it? Because in film, it's just a, something you expect, you know. It's a marquee director puts his name on from a project, it gets thrown out there. On or the actor. Well, yeah, very much. But it almost seems... a a bit over the top on games. I mean, it just American McGee has is, is almost become a comical um, point of view for a lot of people. It's like, oh, look, he's got a stupid name and it's on the front of the box. But, you'd, I mean, if you had seen Cliff Bizzinzi's Gears of War 3, mm. I, I'm pretty sure that would have been just ridicule um, yeah. from most yeah. parts of the internet rather than, yeah. I think you can, yeah, you, I don't know. Some people can get away with it either because they've been doing it a long time or because everyone knows that they are the, you know, you think about civilization that, you know, okay, it was an adaptation of a of a board game, but Sid Meier made that original game pretty much completely on his own. And so, although this, you know, the sequels, sometimes he's not even been involved at all. I, th I don't think he actually worked on Civ three and well, possibly four. And the um, truth being is the turnover of staff as well on these projects. You know, from, yeah, from Dead Space uh, one to Dead Space two, I think it was like half the team had uh, dissipated and moved mm. on, but you know, a core group of people, but. I'd imagine their names would be continually changing on a lot of the, well, the industry is built on franchises, let's face it. Well, it'd also um, be interesting in a case like God of War, where each edition, each of the three games in the series has had a, a different um, head yeah, of, you know, different director. Lead, they, yeah, yeah. 
you could have had David Jaffe's God of War and then that other guy's gear, uh, God of War and then that other but guy's God of War. At least you'd know who he is then. So you'd know David well, Jaffe, but who is the other guy that made, you know, well, The other guys were on the previous God of War, God of War teams, weren't they? So that, that's why they were noticed is because they had... Promoted from within. From yeah, they were fans up, of God of War, they, they'd yeah. be promoted from within. But to anyone else, it doesn't make a difference. However, with um, Cliff Blazinski, for instance, if it had been Cliff Blazinski's Gears of War... Well, people would have asked, who's Cliff Blazinski? Probably. Aside from a few people who were Epic you know, followers and knew of, of him in Epic, probably most people wouldn't have known. And so by the time it came to Gears of War 3, why do you put Cliff Blazinski's name on there? Because oh, Gears of War is what sells it. It's the next game Epic do where they could arguably have a reason to put his name above the game. Because well, he is also now have a, known. Yeah, and you'd also have a situation where um, if somebody if like chair entertainment or somebody else mm -hmm. for microsoft goes on and makes a gears 4 would it be called cliff blazinski's gears of war even if even if he'd moved on to other right things there. because it's his creation the, the funny thing is all this happens and it happens in front of us because we follow the industry so we know what cliff blazinski is working on for instance and, and many of the other luminaries of the industry um and it doesn't really affect them because I, I think most people they follow that 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 whole group uh, you know they're well publicized i just feel sorry for you know we should know the guy that made god of war 2 it, it, by the sounds of it, it you know it, although uh, i don't uh, agree with it stig rasmussen no, it's cory cory barlog that's it yeah yeah and he's gone on to do great things so yeah and i'd, I'd imagine it would it would help um, make a few more you know luminaries i guess for people to follow um, of this industry because I don't think there is enough. At the same time, I can I don't know whether it would actually equate to any more sales. Um, but Tom Clancy's was a fine example where I think Hulk's probably done a lot better. Yeah. And um, some of the other terrible ones they they've thrown his name out. But then again, he's a a writer. Yes, um, he's not a he's not a game developer. If you take something like Uncharted, for instance, you know, for I would like to put Amy Hemming on the front because I'd be well, you know, I, I like the stories and I think she's the probably the best aspect of that. Amy Hemming's Uncharted, but yeah. that would then arguably d uh, devalue the, the work of yeah. the actual yeah the the actual programmers and artists and stuff like that because you're then yeah putting a name out front. It's it's difficult. Um, the, you know, it certainly was a surprise when American McGee's Alice came out. Um, but uh, yeah, whether they'd have done it if he had been called, you know, James McGee, or something, <laughs> it's almost like, hey, this guy's got a really interesting name, and it's American. sort of evocative somehow. So, um, Kingdom of it Game. tells you that it's a, it's this is not Lewis Carroll's Alice. This is American McGee's Alice. Yeah. You know, uh, is that is that the is there something here that maybe Cliff Blazinski wouldn't go in front of Gears of War because although he is most easily identifiable with the game, it's not his sole game whereas something like Will Wright Spore everyone seems to be of the opinion that was his he had an idea and he then mm. put people together to make it a reality yeah like Sid Meier so, so he so. has ownership over that so therefore we're okay with his name being above it and in, yeah. in this case it sounds like American McGee went to EA and said I've got an idea for a game and that's why I his think, name ended up on the front. Maybe I, th I think it has to be when it's when a game is clearly one person's vision that a large group of people then make real, such as Kojima's games. You know, th yeah. there is no doubt that those games are an expression of what he wants to do, what he wants to make. I'm I'm not saying that no one who works on those games has any say in yeah. gameplay or um, development generally, the way it feels to control and all that sort of thing. But the actual, the whole, the product is so clearly. You know his thing. He isn't. He isn't auteur, um, and 
it does so you know i think i think the the problem with american mcgee's alice is that it was as far as we were concerned it was his first game and it seemed a bit pretentious to yeah. to slap that on there um you know whether whether him denying that it was his idea is a bit like when ben kingsley denies that he demands that everyone calls him sir ben kingsley before they <laughs> speak to him it could be uh, it could be sort of saving face but um i think it's almost like for everyone else to decide when somebody's you know kind of big enough and right. distinctive enough to have their own have their name on the box and how damaging it is if if you know that person's on the front of one box and then the sequel is not on front of it um mm. but as i say you you'd have an interesting situation there because if if yeah if somebody's created an entire mythos you know like from the ground up and then created a game that was their vision but then they leave and Bioshock somebody else does a sequel yeah yeah yeah, yeah Ken Levine mm. yeah yeah totally Ueda or yeah Ken Levine's Bioshock mm. it could have been Ken Levine's Bioshock 2 but as in Ken Levine's created the world of Rapture and the characters within it and but this is someone else a story by well, somebody and, else and, and that's a game in particular I heard many people saying they weren't going to play it because Ken Levine wasn't involved in it well but well, it's, it's also a game that 2K because... went to lengths to try and show that initially to try and keep up the pretense that Ken Levine was involved in overseeing and flying over to 2K right. uh, um, not Marin all over the place Marin were involved them, yeah. but yeah um, but um, 2K everyone so, so they they actually tried to peddle that until it became obvious that that wasn't the case because Ken Levine yeah. just wasn't talking about the game at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. Too busy creating his sky world. Well, exactly. Ken Levine's Bioshock and Infinite. So it seems like what we're saying is it's not really a, a, a fad that comes and goes, the naming. It, it happens every so often. It continues to happen. It rolls on because I don't think we can say that it's becoming, becoming any more prominent necessarily. Definitely but. The one game I'm thinking of, and I'm going to blank on the name of the game, but I know Guillermo del Toro's making it for THQ. Oh, and oh yeah, I, is it? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I hope THQ managed to keep that going because they must have ploughed enough money into it to to feel yeah. it's viable and will continue. But they're on um, tightrope, aren't they, THQ? Undoubtedly, that's going to be Guillermo del Toro's game, and it will be, have his name in front of the title. I would wow. almost think certainly. Remember yeah. Peter Jackson's project? Hey, yeah. hey, mm. hey. Well, actually. Mm. It was Peter King Peter Kong. Jackson's King Kong, the official movie. Yeah, that's game, true. Yeah. Whatever it was, but his name was on it. So. Yeah, that's true enough. Anyway. Uh, but that was actually Michel Ancel's King Kong, really, wasn't it? Mm. So yeah, I was going to say all this talk about American McGee's uh, Alice and you know his, his name on the on the box. It certainly worked for me back in the day. Well, I say back in the day on the Xbox days because there was a game called Scrapland that he had his name on the front of. And it was, it? it was a game about robots, and it was sort of part mm -hmm. platformer, part RPG. It was sort of a open world sort of uh, experience. And because his name was on the front, I recognised that from the American mm. McGee's Alice. And he's got he's got such a distinct name that I sort of tried it out, yeah. and I remember liking that game. So it sort of worked in that respect. I see. These are games I've really very little idea about um, on his CV. American yeah. American McGee presents Scrapland, interestingly. Uh -huh. So it sounds like maybe he actually didn't make that one. Um, it's by Enlight Software or Enlight. Um, and as is American McGee presents Bad Day LA. So he's down as producer, um, creative director, writer, co-designer. Um, so, you know, th these titles could mean anything. Um, and again, this could be that 
perhaps they were trying to sell because the name, you know, Alice did critically did all right, didn't it, and commercially did all right. Well, so in the in the particularly in the horror film world, it's very common to have a well-known name in the in in mm-hmm. that genre present yeah. a movie that they are backing. You know, Quentin Tarantino or Sam Del Raimi. Toro does it uh, all Del the Toro, time. Yeah, yeah, so plenty yeah. of people, and in, in, in uh, Tarantino's case, he finds movies particularly from the East that he wants to champion and puts his name yeah. to them and goes to a distributor in America and, and you know, becomes an executive producer on that basis. But The difference is, though, that by and large, like because Tarantino's uh, quality has dipped over the years, some of the films he's putting his name to as presented by are better than things he's producing himself, whereas <laughs> with Guillermo del Toro, they're often not quite up to the standard. But he's, you know, to his credit, he's giving young upcoming yeah, or obscure filmmakers a chance to yeah. piggyback off him. Strangely, it's I think that's almost been handed to the um, not production... Um, uh, distributors, someone like um, Atlas, that you, know, you go to Atlas for a certain brand of game. This may not mm. just be one person, but you can kind of look at companies which mesh with your attitude towards games. Totally. So yeah. I think that that exists completely within this industry. I just it seems weird to me that there's been buried where in other in- industries, even music, uh, how many produced by um, you know what they put you. Know, Producers, <laughs> produced by certain producers, yeah. can actually yeah, sell yeah, albums. Yeah. Um, where it seems mm. to be, uh, you know, unless you know who makes Mass Effect, uh, and you know, it, mm. it's it's kept behind closed doors, which I entirely under. I, uh, I don't know. I think it probably works for the, our industry in particular. Um, but it, I'd be interested to see more titles take you know take a claim. Uh, I, yeah, I'm all absolutely. I'm all for it for credit where credit's due. We mm. try and do it on this show and on our blog, mm-hmm. and um, particularly because I find it very frustrating when I hear people talking about, oh, you know, you're going to play the new. But, but I'm thinking back in the uh, early 2000s when my mates would be like, oh, brilliant, new Tomb Raiders out. It's like, have you any idea who's actually making this now? Mm-hmm. It's not people who made the original yeah. and you see it as Sonic the Hedgehog games like oh you Sonic oh this will be a return to form no it won't because Yuji Naka went off and formed Proper why are you yeah. not playing Proper's games if you like the early Sonic the Hedgehog games it's it frustrates brand, me because I think right. exactly people go with well, brand rather than creative that was the whole quality. Call of Duty issue that saw um, yeah th- that that's, yeah, yeah that, that saw the, the breakdown of um, Infinity Ward effectively mm. you know was was that I was quite happy to let the Treyarch games go by and stick out for the Infinity Ward ones. And yes. other people not only didn't know that, but when I would speak to them, they, they didn't perceive necessarily a drop in quality until you pointed Absolutely. it out to them and said, Absolutely. Do you not think it feels a bit different or you know and and then yeah. maybe they would they would see it. But for a lot of people, that's the game they want to play irrespective of who makes it, I suppose. An interesting one was uh when um the football manager, uh, championship mm, manager name stayed with Idos, and the and uh, Sports Interactive moved on to say, uh, well, to uh, Sega published football, football manager team. from um, uh, about 2005, I think it was, um, and of course championship manager continued to exist. They set up a new studio called Beautiful Game Studios, I think, mm. and mm. obviously they had to completely start again from the ground up, and they didn't, they didn't have 10, 15 years of of football management game experience so they made this very sort of mediocre substandard mm. thing um, but a lot of people probably bought it by mistake because they recognised the name um, And but I think in the in the end football manager now Proved everybody itself. knows yeah. everybody yeah, yeah everybody knows that that's what that's what and, the game and became we're overlooking the, the the big other one which is Guitar Hero of course 
yeah, a lot of people yeah. bought Guitar Hero because it was Guitar Hero and, and had Too not right. necessarily much Yes. Uh, Look how that worked, Ellie. Eh? Eh? <laughs> Thinking, yeah, there's so many, it's so true. The amount of people I had to tell that Rock Band was not a cheap knockoff, it was the it true was the, sequel to yeah, Guitar Hero 2. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then you have studios themselves. You know, People keep well, keep the names alive, so it's something like Atari, which just keeps on coming back again yeah, because yeah. You know, it has brand recognition for whatever it's worth now. Activision as well. Act- the Activision now has so, no no relationship mm. with the Activision who, who I was talking about earlier at all. And yeah, Atari's just weird. I got off the bus yesterday. I'm just, this is probably not news to all you crazy young kids, but there was a, there was a dude wearing Atari-branded headphones. Yeah. Right. yeah. I was like, "What? What the fuck?" They're they're a retro brand now, and literally they were they mm. were rescued by I have no idea who owns Atari now. Um, no, and and they Infogrames were rescued. did have them. Yeah, they were rescued as a brand. Warner they wanted a label to put on things that was recognisable. It's mad. It's yeah. yeah. To me, you know, they were own. I mean, they had several owners even by the time I got into games. I think yeah, Atari, yeah. but um, but th- there's also yeah. a risk with um, what a lot of people would see as what's happening with um, Bioware. That now Bioware is being the name that is attached to other studios uh, within EA in order to yes. lend it a credibility. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, yeah, it happens. Yeah. Um, but that that is that is a concern that they're, they're being they're, they're spreading the name thin. Yeah. American McGee's Alice, 2000, PC, um, and it was only a PC game at that point, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, recently, it finally got ported fairly rudimentarily to the 360 and PS3, I assume, for the DLC. Um, well, sort of DLC. Yeah, it's an odd one. It's, a, it's yeah. another one of these EA $10 incentive type things. Yeah. Um, but this time, in, instead of you know guarding your, your access to multiplayer, they were giving you a free piece of content, namely the original Alice. Yeah, yeah. Alice. yeah. American McGee's Alice. Mm. It's sort of quite cool, mm. but I, as a renter of the game, and obviously you know that's why. But surely they should have given the option to buy it standalone for eight hundred Microsoft points or twelve hundred. It's 1200. a really weird one. How are, they, how are they losing by by making you? Why do why do they make you have have to have the disc in the machine to play the original game? So it makes no sense so that to you me. So you don't rent or sell the game, I presume. I mean, that's the mm. that's that's the EA ten dollar incentive, isn't it? Because it is, but yeah, but it at the has same to be time, something we, that you're going to keep the game for. So, but with that incentive, 
they they still give you the ability to go and buy the pass and play online. So they're okay. I mean, I'm surprised. Having played for it, and I only played for it the other day, um, I'm surprised it never made it its way to XBLA or you know, the the Sen network, as we now will have to start calling SCN. it. SCN. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it, I mean, it's perfectly. It's a perfect competent port. It's, it's an HDFI'd port, um, and it works perfectly fine on the 360 yeah. pad uh, at the very least. So I'm surprised they never just stuck a 1200 point or 800 point marker in it. Because I think they would have got more people to buy it. I would have. I would have bought it for 800 points yeah. if I didn't have to. Keep, yeah, keep the disc, I, but I wanted to send the I disc. I do agree, and, and what I think I, I'm surprised they didn't do was give it a six-month window as only a download, mm. which would mean that everyone who wanted yeah. to play it in the first six months would buy the game mm. and Absolutely. then release yeah. it. Because if they released it day and date, then that removes the incentive because you can't just yeah. buy it separately, and why would you keep the game or not rent the game? So. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool idea, and I really appreciate the fact that they gave us the original game in today's like you know console. Mm. But the fact that I couldn't launch it on its own was a bit annoying. Mm. And mm. I traded the game in by the time I wanted to play it, and they're, obviously they're both very similar games. So why yeah. would I want to play the new version and then immediately go back into the old version? And mm. well, this is something <sighs> James has actually done. But I I took a good at this point it was probably a six month break between playing mm. uh, Madness Returns and then going back and playing American McGee's Alice. Yeah. Uh, where James, I know you you played Alice first and then Madness Returns straight after that. And yeah. from my point of view, I th I actually think that's something that if you're interested in this game by the the time we finish up this podcast, you should actually do. Um, mainly because it, it sets up a number of um, ideas, features that will w w later on will appear in Madness Returns. Um, characters, obviously, they're you know characters that are from a book, um, essentially, but you know they do reappear and they re reappear with the same starlings that happen to be in the first game. Yeah. So it's well worth playing through the first game. I think if you want to experience a full, full sort of madness return does. And you could, I you could always the, pick uh, up on PC, of course, is the other way to do it. Mm. And, yeah, uh, and true enough. Or, or get a is, it, uh, is it on good old games? Possibly. I haven't looked. I'm afraid uh, because I, I had I access think it to might it be. on. on uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got to admit, I, I, I've watched some videos of it today, and um, it looks all right, but I, mm. uh, I, I don't think I particularly need to go back and play the first game. Um, I Well, I was going to start with um, Darren, actually, because you're the only one of us who played it back in the day. Back in the day, yeah. When so what sort, of, what sort of resolution were you running at? Can you remember? <laughs> It must have been something like uh, 640 by 480 with a big CRT monitor that took half your desk up and uh -huh. all that jazz. But yeah, I remember playing it around a around a friend's house, uh, and yeah, it, it looked amazing for the time. And playing it yeah. on the Xbox 360, I could I could appreciate you know the the style they had and stuff like that. But it did look a bit you know a bit janky and a bit bit yeah. rough. But um, I didn't think it looked terrible on the videos I was watching. Uh, you know, it it definitely the polygons are. Are uh, blockier and uh, the they textures hold up well. are less. But they, they do it, look, it doesn't look terrible because mm. it's uh, it's another case of stylized graphics holding up yeah. better than. Um, this will come up again in uh, in when we talk about uh, Rayman next week because I've yeah. gone back to the original Rayman today, but uh, we'll save that. Um, yeah, so sorry, Darren. Continue. Yeah, and it, we basically bought it because. Uh, it was going through like that revolution in our bedrooms that we had like you know voodoo graphics cards and it was mm. a, it was a quake free <laughs> engine game like we knew it was like you know powered by id and id tech and stuff like that so we were more excited maybe about that aspect of it being a first person sort of a, a was it first person it was wasn't it, it was first no, person third third, third. third. Oh, I remember it as a first yeah no we should actually uh, we should say you know what what it, for people who haven't experienced the game this is if 
effectively, it's that word, um, a third-person action Adventure. platform puzzle <laughs> shooter. Yeah. It's got a bit of everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's got shooting, uh, it's got combat, it's got it's got jumping. Yeah, and we, we the the main attraction was well, uh, firstly, this guy called American McGee put himself in the box, so there was a little bit of a, like a, a, a mm. mis- mysterious behind it, like who's this American McGee? <laughs> but it, more importantly, it was like um, you know, we got this new graphics card. Let's see these really dodgily angled levels on purpose. You know, they're designed like that on purpose, and uh, mm. yeah, let's let's jump into this world that is going to totally blow our mind. So the art style um, is consistent in in Madness Returns from the original. Is that yeah, yeah, is it fair to say the three of you? Pretty much. Yeah, there's there's a number of nods. Um, there's the, the chess world. I mean, it's hard because a lot of this stuff obviously comes from the source material. So yeah, you course. can't say that you know the first game has really much impact on the second game because they're both taken mm. from the same kind of block. But yeah, um, you know, say graphically Stalin, there is a number of. Um, Characters which are, yeah, are representative in the same way, which are, obviously that's open to interpretation. So it feels like a lot of that content he made in his first game um, does transfer across in, in a few of the ideas um, and graphical stylings that come across. I was to say, as a game itself, um, it's it's classic 2000. I would argue um, mm. it's it's a game that will test your patience. It, it's it's really hard because you, you, you think it's a pla- mostly it's a platforming game. There is certainly combat elements in it. And you think, well, it's a, com- it's a platforming game from 2000, so you, know, you expect a little bit of jankiness, and that's, there's that word again. Um, and, but then again, you, you then realise that stuff like Mario 64 and, and whatnot were out. There were some fantastic platformers out by yeah. this point. It's well worth saying that I do remember the reviews at the time. One of the reasons I didn't rush out and buy this was that a lot of people said, you know, this is interesting, it's stylish... Mm-hmm. It's got some cool ideas, but it doesn't control particularly well. It's certainly not up there with the, some of the 3D yeah. platformers of the day, or even even the, you know the previous years. This was already two years after Banjo Kazooie and four years after Mario 64. Mm. This is significant. But, but it's a mouse and keyboard for you, though, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. The control True. the control inputs weren't suited for no, really you know, um, platforming. And back in the day, when you were to plug in a pad for your PC. 50-50 whether it'll work Sidewinder yeah no analog control presumably um, for Alice herself all all, um, all digital so key keystroke on or off or pad kind of translates over to the on the control pad as well it does feel like there should be a pointer on screen in fact you have a it, it a, is basically a, a pointer, purple isn't dot it? isn't there yeah. that um, oh, okay. you control on the screen which clearly was your mouse controller that they've you know, they put it to mm-hmm. the right stick I would guess one of the key differences I noticed when watching videos of the first game is that you spend a lot more time throwing knives rather than uh, hack and slash combat. You have to. Yeah. Actually, you, you, I, I don't know about um, when when Des uh, when sorry Darren played it or uh, or Tony, but um, I certainly found that the the melee combat is just you standing directly opposite an enemy Horrendous. and hitting one way. another until <laughs> one of you dies and it's them <laughs> because mm-hmm. you've got slightly more health. But there's no dodge. There's no none of the mechanics that are in the the sequel were mm. really there. So it literally is just standing toe to toe like your chess pieces in battle chess, knocking one another <laughs> until one of you falls over. And so what you end up doing is getting well the knife you can throw, but it's awful with the controller to actually aim it because it feels like it should be a mouse pointer. Pretty sensitive. Yeah. yeah, it just it with a mouse pointer you know you'd be very accurate, and with the controller you're just not. So as soon as you get, uh, for me it was the jacks, just start throwing them because they auto target an enemy and just take them out in a couple of 
couple of hits. For, for me, um, it was the ice wand. Um, yeah, there's this yeah. thing that freezes enemies, and even the toughest enemy, you can just sit there and freeze it within about four seconds, as long as you keep yeah. a distance. It's pretty much a one-hit one kind of kill weapon. Yeah. Um, but it, the, the game's got more issues than just... The platforming's rudimentary, um, but mm. it, it's got the old 2000 level design. Um, I know both me and James suffered with this. Uh, there's of course when you come to a maze in any game you fear mm -hmm. the worst like am mm -hmm. I ever going to be able to get this but imagine a maze underwater with dark oh. ports and corridors and of course you need to get air so you need to find the air oh. bubbles slow controls you lose the, the camera, camera. The, work, so, the water surface so frequently you, f you realize you are being killed by these snarks underwater which are the same as the snarks in the sequel except they're underwater um, yeah. And uh, and you die pretty quickly from them. Um, yeah. yeah, I got to a, a I just saved w and I didn't have much health, but I'd literally just made it through one on underwater section, had to go into another, and it, it nearly stopped me being able to complete the game because it's a manual save system being a PC game. Mm. Unlike I was going to say, is it is it it allows quick saves? Yeah, thank um, God. Yeah, and you have to God, make yeah. them every jump. Okay. I was making a, a save because the jumping system's not great but having said yeah. that you know we're saying it's a janky platformer I played Psychonauts and Beyond Good and Evil last year and mm. uh, Psychonauts is a similar sort of era to Alice uh, five, about five years yeah, later yeah and, and uh, Beyond Good and Evil's about a bit later as well and neither, 2003 yeah, yeah. neither of them were perfect the cameras no. were iffy at best you know you would often get stuck with a bad viewpoint or mm. you know and, and the the level design, the geometry wasn't great, and this is a, a worse version. But being a bit earlier, it, it, it I, I, you know, I, I think the reason, saying all that, it's not a terrible game. It actually holds no. up pretty well. It's, it's entertaining enough to play through. It's about mm, six to seven hours. I'd, I'd say around that yeah. point. You know, depending on how much mm -hmm. you get lost within um, the main. So sessions. much smaller than Madness Returns, and much but smaller. Half the size, I would say, yeah. Yeah, and but um, it's it's once again it's a design. There even back then the some of the unique um, characters or the story aspects and um, the game world design. There's a fantastic level, chess piece level, where you actually get to play yeah. part of the chess pieces. And um, depending which chess piece you are, you then have to replicate its moves. So yeah. mm. whatever you're a knight, you can only really move in their nail direction, and there's puzzles based around that. Yeah. There's, oh, yeah. there's nice little unique touches like that, which I hadn't actually seen in any other game um, all the way up until now. So it's yeah. it holds up in some degrees, and there, there's some really nice artistic um, flourishes in there. So I, I think mm -hmm. if if you want to play Madness Returns, it's well worth actually spending the six hours. But it Madness Returns isn't a short game, so you'd probably get somewhat uh, overkilled by the end of it. But it's, mm, it's mm. certainly uh, the other thing that I think is is annoying. And from my point of view, you know, I do look at achievements with some sort of severeness, I guess. But um, they tie a hundred achievement points to it. So if you do yeah. buy it secondhand, then you get locked out a bunch of achievements, which I know yeah. um, annoyed a number of people uh, because of that. But once again, it's yeah. an incentive. So buy. They are on top of the one thousand, though, aren't they? No, because there's nine hundred no, for Madness Returns oh, and one hundred okay. for. It's, it's, it's easy, you just basically play through the story and that's it. But it's yeah, literally yeah. story related and there's no difficulty mm. to it. So uh, the trick on 360 I found was you've got to put it on easy because the combat will just eat away at you if you don't have it on easy mm. and it just feels more manageable that way. Th there is something yeah. interesting I found though. The way the levels are designed, there seem to be a lot of sort of useless dead ends. 
I don't know mm-hmm. what that was about. There's a lot of corners you go into and think, well, I've literally come sort of 30 seconds down this path and there's nothing here. Oh, not Maybe it's not 30 uh, seconds, but it's very odd. Almost like it was supposed to have something down there. and then hmm. well, Sounds sounds like a slightly janky game from the late 90s, early 2000s yeah. to me. I mean, that's that, that sort of thing was fairly I, commonplace. I think maybe level design just wasn't what we know it as today. Yeah, but, well, I, mean, I think it wants to give you the illusion of an open world yeah. at, at the same time actually sending you down a pretty corridor-driven platformer. And, and that's the other thing. Like Madness Returns, it's very linear. There isn't any toing and froing. When I started the game, I spotted lots of little half-height doors, and I couldn't do anything with them, but I presumed once I was able to shrink myself, I'd be going mm. through them. No, they're just they're set oh, dressing. There, there's nothing yeah. to that. Yeah, completely cosmetic. But there's walkways up to the door, and you think, okay, great, I'll get <laughs> to come back to this area and your Metroid style open it once mm. a bit. No, it's very maybe linear, that very suggests linear. something that was lost in you know got a, a feature that got dropped in development because this the sequel does have a, you have the permanent ability to shrink yourself and go through small doors. Mm. Sounds like maybe uh, McGee and the team were thinking of putting something like that in the first game but either it was too difficult or they ran out of time or something yeah. like that uh, we'll never know I guess very but, quickly uh, on the story um, I was playing mm. it and I, I actually searched for this because I was sure that they'd basically taken the same story that Tim Burton then used which is Alice. I've not seen the, the Tim Burton oh, version, I, I wouldn't so. <laughs> no. <laughs> not worth it um Basically, so, so the idea is in, in American McGee's Alice, um, you start off with an opening cutscene and it becomes clear that since Alice first went to Wonderland, so this is very much a sequel to Lewis Carroll's stories, um, there has been a house fire which Alice survived and none of the rest of her family did, which is comes up in Madness Returns, but that's the premise for Alice. And um, her guilt is causing Wonderland to destroy itself. Um, and what Alice has to do is go back into Wonderland and with the help of some of the friends she met then and, and uh, against some of the others people she, uh, or creatures she met uh, in her first visits she has to take down the uh, the Red Queen's Red lieutenants Queen. including mm-hmm. the, the battle with the Jabberwocky um, mm. and then take down the Red Queen herself wasn't the Jabberwocky in Through the Looking Glass? Yes. So, well, the so Jabberwocky is actually a separate poem, I think, but it's referred to in Through the Looking Glass. Perhaps. I'm not okay, sure. Okay, so this is this is sort of a, a sequel to both books, although she has yeah. dark hair. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Not fair. Yeah. yeah. Carry on. So, so it, I, I, it just struck me that the the story seemed very similar, in in many ways, and I I, mm. I ended up finding. Um, an interview that seemed to suggest that American McGee had been speaking to a film producer of some kind who was very interested in the story they were using for American mm. McGee's Alice. It didn't then go on to say if this guy was involved with Tim Burton's version, but it did say that he was trying to turn it into a film, so I don't know if there's a link there or not. Um, well, there's been so many Alice yeah. films and TV productions. and it could It's be just, a, as a reimagining, it, it seemed that they were more similar than perhaps I... Uh, you know, mm. as gamers and as people who are in, interested in popular culture, if something like that had been the case, as soon as Tim Burton's Alice was announced and the story was known, I'd have expected to hear about it, and I hadn't heard anything. Yeah. So there's, there's probably nothing to it, but it just struck me as there was a parallel there that... 
so it it does fascinate me how Alice the story has been adapted in so many different ways. It seems to be the the very well the thing now is to to take it into her, you know this insanity of her, of her mind mm. when you know and and very dark as well. And that's where everyone seems to be taking it. But it, I was going to say I'm not sure they could have made a, a a film directly of this version, especially where the story ends up mm. in at the end of the second game. Maybe, but it would have been a would have been a higher certificate than the Tim Burton version. Yes, definitely. Yeah. There's a lot of blood and gore and nastiness. Well, the the sec- last or second to last level of American McGee's Alice is literally well, you get a bit of it in Madness Returns, but it felt much more intense, I guess, in the first one. You're literally climbing through what seems like the inside of a body, mm-hmm. uh, which is supposed to be an allegory yeah. for Alice climbing up through her own body towards her mind, mind to rescue yeah. it. Um, but yes. but even though the the textures are very flat in high def, mm. it does it looks quite crisp and it, it's quite it's really disturbing actually, um, just the way it looks you know more so than something like you know uh, we've seen something like that in Gears of War two, and and that that was <laughs> that was relatively world, laughable yeah. uh, yeah, or, for comedy effect, or yeah. even um, uh, Halo three uh, the Cortana level mm. there's a bit of that but this this was really quite disturbing because it's bare bloodied flesh on the walls mm. um, and actually the downloadable dress in Madness Returns called Flesh Maiden is similar, it's literally flesh that, that Alice is wearing it's really there's bizarre. definitely some yeah there's definitely something about that, it's something even going back to the 16-bit era um, there was a shooter, a Japanese shooter called Gainaug which um, featured almost, you know, the graphics were almost entirely sort of, of that sort of mm. fleshy idea, it was very you know, all very um, like some kind of really bizarre biology lesson, yeah. and um, even a Doom, of course, you know, Doom had the sort of fleshy, yeah. the fleshy walls made up of faces. It does, uh, it, it does make you queasy. Yeah, there is actually a great scene now. You reminded me where at the end of Alice, where you're physically wiping away the memories of all these evil people in their mind by uh, mm. going through certain doors, and then ultimately you're stabbing them in the in the face with a knife. Um, yeah. And then her face at the end, you know, the that all the faces basically amalgamate into one that then uh, shows itself through her face at the very end. Um, that really, well, actually, although we are spoiling it, um, it, it is certainly worth playing because it, it's a slightly different take than what Madness Returns is. But um, yeah, yeah, and and so I suppose without again, well, not really spoiling, but the end of American McGee's Alice is to say mm. that Alice has battled her current demons, but they may return. And yes. the point of Madness Returns is literally that the madness has returned to Alice and she has to... But of course the so. crucial difference is that instead of it being to do with her guilt, she finds, she realises fairly early on that uh, the, the, the infernal train that is coursing through mm. her wonderland is actually caused by an outside influence. It's, there, yeah, yeah um, and well we'll come to we'll come to yeah. the the hideous reveal let's get to alice yeah madness returns it
she, yeah, she's um, she's ten years older apparently than she was in the second book in Through the Looking Glass. So she's mm. she's kind of a young woman, which uh, excuses some of the more provocative of her costumes, I suppose. Um, when she first returns to Wonderland in uh, Madness Returns, it initially it appears to be quite magical and idyllic again, mm. but quite quickly the infernal train and then you've got the uh what's the stuff the the kind of black the, goo the stuff. ruin the ruin the that's ruin. it which is a uh, uh, obviously a manifestation of the 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 poison the the depression or the anxiety yeah. that's going through her mind and you know th that's where this game is a bit more interesting than a bog standard platform puzzle adventure shoot 'em up game in that it does seem to be trying on some level to genuinely say something about the psyche although it doesn't really sort of get anywhere particularly profound with it and and perhaps it is just a platform for a lot of I suppose although I think you know visually it's pr it is pretty cool although technically it's not stunning madness returns we're on now mm. um, I think some of the sort of things that it uses to freak you out you know we're talking about the fleshy walls but you know a lot of scary faced animals and Doll, dead-eyed dolls, and yeah. things like that, and it, and it, there is a there is a, a whiff of the cliche about some of it, but but fair? none of it's jump scares. It's all about the atmosphere, no. which is interesting because obviously something like Dead Space has been one of the most sort of uh, famed horror games of of recent years, and some people would argue it's more action than than horror or survival horror, but. Mm. And in Dead Space, it certainly has an atmosphere, but they do rely a lot on on jump scares, uh, which which people again looking towards horror often malign, and I think wrongly so because in Dead Space it does work well. But here, there's no jump scares; it's all just the atmosphere. And there's this even in the the fantastical opening area, there's an uneasiness mm. to it all. You know, it, yeah. it feels like it's it's on the edge of being something that is very hostile and intimidating and. And that that's really done well, I think. The hostility uh, comes from sort of yeah they they, they vary a lot the, the sort of the enemies and you've got these sort of almost comical cartoonish sort of goblins who wear teacups for armor and stuff. But then you've got the the quite yeah the disturbing ruin faced <clears throat> the doll doll faced it's, things. It's really odd. I've never listened to you talk about. It. I've never seen it as a a game that wanted to be a horror type game. Um, which is odd considering the very opening cutscene they make it very clear as the rabbit at the tea party has his head severed off and blood you know, spurts everywhere and it's Alice claws her own face yeah, off yeah claws her own and it's you know if, if you were in yeah. the illusion that this game was you know some sort of kids <laughs> take on the Alice no. uh, um, story you would no. very much like okay well this means business but straight after that I, it settles down but I, I never saw it as a horror piece I saw it more as a an interesting look at through someone's um, deranged mind which is something there's, that a it is, there's a lot of blood in it. There is a lot of blood in it, but it's. it's I, I, I know what you mean, though, Tony. It, it doesn't feel like a, a horror game as we would know a horror game. Um, but it, if it, if it ever was, it would be a psychological horror, and I think that's mm. the side of it, isn't it? It's the psychological mm. aspect that that leaves a, leaves one feeling pretty uneasy. I think is is the way to say it. Maybe horror is too strong a, or or too specific a term to apply to it. It's weird. Although I enjoyed I enjoyed the visuals. I think the the cutscenes that are done in the sort of paper cutout style. I think they're very nicely done. The the old Victoria uh, Victorian London scenes are are, are quite nice. Um, 
the caricatures are grotesque there's a as you say there's a sort of macabre sense to everything but i never felt as uneasy as i wanted to it it was yeah. more sort of amusingly macabre rather than actually unsettling to me mm. but isn't that really how all alice adaptations have happened there's there's been no outright horror one there's always a sense of mm. amusement within the the derangement of somebody's mind that's my take yeah but yeah but this is this is supposed to be a you know or, or in you know intends to be a darker more twisted version of alice than 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 we're used to and I actually think that in a way the the like the Disney adaptation which is in some parts faithful and in some parts missing huge chunks as you'd expect mm. is actually in some ways almost by accident creepier than mm. uh, than I, American McGee's Alice which is perhaps trying too hard and goes down the sort of goth emo route a little I I think the bigger problems with Mad Return in particular is its paint brushes are far too broad it it nothing quite nothing succinct about it so that you you have the victorian london scenes at the very start um like you said there's like this weird 2d paper cutout field to them, which is an interesting art style i give it that it's, it's something that's unusually fairly rarely seen in video games and it's all black and white uh, i i would guess to to kind of say her, her everyday life is is nothing but dull or dullness um and then once you get into the the you know the actual wonderland itself it all really bursts into color but it's just this huge, large paintbrush. It's 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 fairly obvious from the very start, but it, it's not very succinct in really anything that it, that it says. And I think it feels like that because the game. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise for it that any of us would would think, and certainly I do. It's over long, and so had it been shorter, like American McGee's Alice, it might mm. have felt like a more uh, intense look at that. Yeah. But you have too long to become used to the different worlds you're walking through. That's a very good point. It, the the impact is lost due to the mm. repetition of level. There's there's a lot of padding. Um, certain sorts of rooms and puzzles mm. repeat over and over again. Certain types of jump. None of it's hugely taxing. Um, some of the combat can be a little testy. Uh, the controls in this game, I think they're generally okay, but they don't they don't feel amazing. Once again, they, you know, we're talking about American McGee's Alice feeling a little bit dated in 2000 well this feels even more dated I think for its time mm. this feels like something of that era uh, in terms of control and environs um, perhaps the combat's a little more sophisticated than it would have been back then and perhaps you know that you know you've got analog control and you've got a nice floaty jump and stuff like that it's it's not it's not cruel and punishing and and punitive but Again, it just doesn't have the beautiful, smooth sort of feel of, you know, a Super Mario Galaxy or something like that. I, I think as a, a 3D platforming game, I think the combat is actually rather good. It, It's very approachable, but actually rather complex. Certainly on, on mm. some of the higher difficulty levels, you can't... I mean, once again, the melee uh, stuff is all but useless. Um, but, I mean, you, you have... Um, I use melee quite a lot, because you, you can upgrade everything. And I upgraded the knife to the top top end and uh, I did a lot of hacking. M melee's good once you've stunned an enemy to get in close and some of them you really have to get in close with a knife and then be ready to, to duck away once the, particularly the bigger enemies sort of regain their yeah. composure. Well, it's, I mean, once again the combat isn't anything that maybe you haven't seen before in other titles no. but it, no, what no. it does, I mean, this is pretty much Alice through and through and it will come up time and time again which is it, it adds character to a lot of the you know, one the environments, but two even in the weapons. So instead of just, a, I think the knife is 
is about the blandest. Blade. Yeah, the, is about the That's blandest it. thing in there. But you have a hobby horse instead of maybe a big mallet. Um, you <laughs> have a umbrella instead of a shield. You have mm. a pepper grinder instead of a uh, machine gun. You have a teapot um, grenade launcher. Uh, so you can actually literally cook grenades before you fire them <laughs> off to to give them time. So it has a real unique uh, style to it, and I found myself yeah. a lot using the the pepper grinder to keep enemies at bay. And actually, the umbrella is a fantastic weapon because you quite often get things firing and stuff at you. And if you bring out the umbrella at the last second, you can actually bounce back the uh, the bullets yeah. or the um, the grenades that they're firing back at you. So it's got a very unique style to it. Yeah, so that's quite interesting though, actually, because you're saying you have to bring out the umbrella at the last second, but actually, if you test that a little bit, you find that if you've got the umbrella out for a good three to four seconds before you need to, it's fine. And maybe that's the, the difference, is that in a game that we would probably say had tighter controls and tighter combat system, you would have to get timing spot on, whereas mm. this is it's very much more forgiving, which lends, I think, the, the controls and the combat, the feel that it's very adequate and not necessarily as, you know, yeah. just sort of, you don't feel that it's really really sort of tuned to what it needs to be and it's probably intentional to be honest because it would seem a bit weird if if the impact of the combat was very uh you know was something similar to another other melee games or i played darksiders recently and, and the character movement and um and combat had a very significant weight to it that if alice being as slight and small as she is had a lot of weight to the the combat it might seem a little bit ridiculous, especially in what is essentially a dream world that she's in. Mm. I, I think, yeah, overall the the feel of the game is is yeah, it's adequate, and it's it's not one of those games where simply traversing the worlds and just moving your character out is a pleasure in itself, like it is in yeah, say a Mario game or something mm. like that, where the fun is actually just running about as a character. You know, you, I. I I found uh, you know the large majority of the platforming, and even when you're going off to find the hidden items, which was mildly diverting, um, was you know generally the platforms you had to land on were large. There 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 weren't too many moments of sort of having to pixel perfect pinpoint long jumps. Mm. You get infinite lives anyway. You just keep restarting. There are a lot of checkpoints. Um, that said, there were still a few moments where I did get a bit stuck and frustrated in certain sections where it wasn't clearly signposted where to it, go or it does happen more when you're going for the collectibles i mean it, if yeah. i don't know james and me both have got a thousand points in the game so yeah there, there is a lot of collectibles in this game yeah far too many in fact um and there is a lot more challenging platforms to get to these places certainly some of the snout locations and whatnot mm. but yeah. once again it's it's very hard for a developer it's do you know it's that balance of Making sure that somebody just wants to play for the storyline and, and have a you know a reasonable time through it, and against somebody yeah. that you know wants to to collect everything, but they use the collectibles in a horrible way for making you do some ridiculous stuff just to find them. Um, I guess it's worth saying though to people who are going shudder collectibles. Um, these collectibles do actually uh, they're not just shiny trinkets. They do they are shiny trinkets, but they also each one uh, unlocks a memory, uh, which is a, a bit of spoken dialogue from one of the key characters to to reveal more history of, yeah. of the story of the game so if you are into it you know if you get into this this nasty dark story of Alice um, there are reasons to pursue those other than just achievements I suppose 
Uh, yes, most the memories very much so because they add some depth to what's going on, and you start you you see and hear things from the memories that tell you a lot about the characters she's running into, both yeah. mo in the real world, but it also feeds into the characters that um, that she's dealing with in her own brain. Because of course, mm -hmm. all the all the main characters in her brain are representations of people from her real life, yeah. as far as the original source material goes. Um, mm -hmm. The the snouts when you you get them occasionally you'll get a basket that has uh, you know a sizable amount of life and and some uh, teeth which are the the currency in the game um, in in it um, but the bottles not only is there no achievement for bottles uh, I don't think bottles, yes. but there's nothing there's literally no reason aside from to allude to the fact that she was dealing with potions and and bottles with different labels on in the um, in the original book, there's real unless I miss something. There's no reason. No, I think to, no reason. Nothing. Yeah. Pure, and there's not pure, even uh, achievements. Padding. So I, I, they're, they're no. like the flask in Alan Wake. Yeah. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> just, uh, um, but and I know um, because me and Desmond had a long conversation about Alice Manners on IDKFA, and the main thing I think we were both drawn to, uh, you know, we talked a little about the combat, was the actual look of the game. I think that's the mm. thing that drew us both in primary. So, Desmond, you've been quiet for a little while. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't really have a lot of um, love and affection for the actual premise of Alice, if you know what I mean. Like, mm -hmm. the, the visual aesthetic really appeals to me, but the, you know, all the psychology behind her and stuff, like, that doesn't, that's not why I go to these things. Um, I, I went to Alice Madden Returns for the platforming, you know, I, I love my platformers and I'm always willing to check out a new one. And uh, yeah, the visual style of this game was definitely the draw for me. The fact that you said earlier, Tony, that she, you know, she uses a hobby horse instead of a mallet, and uh, you know, a pepper grinder instead of um, a, a typical ranged weapon. Uh, that's definitely the draw for me in this. And when I saw the giant bomb quick look of them doing the, uh, you know, taking down the teapot first, because that's like a, he's like the the peripheral enemy guy that's taking you out from a distance. You got to sort of, you know, stop him from dropping his tea bombs everywhere and stuff like that. Um, that that definitely pulled me in. And uh, I'm I'm glad I played it through to the end because it, it definitely has some you know interesting story twists and turns. But like, like the visual style, especially one of the levels which is entirely built out of cards, was mm -hmm. was probably one of the best levels I played in a game last year. And while that doesn't represent my whole love for the game as a you know as a as a package, um, that level itself was definitely worthwhile playing um, the whole game for. Yeah, it's see. So you say it's not necessarily the concept, but the concept allows itself to actually build from mm. these levels. So, you know, the the Decker Cars level is a f absolutely fantastic. Uh, to try to sell it to people, it is you're in this beautiful blue sky um, all around you, and then these cards form in front of you as platforms, and then you can you know you basically go into the house of cards. I, I yeah. assume it's about the you know the was it building of memory or the collapsing state of a mind because uh, mm. many of those things happen. So I, I think it. Yeah. The, the story itself lends to most of these levels. You, you, it, having now just played literally the, the first Alice games, you can see where it takes a, a lot of the stuff from that as well. So you yeah. have the underwater levels. In that, you have the underwater levels. In Alice Madness Returns, you have um, their underwater kind of broken shipwreck levels, which are much better handled. Yeah, um, interestingly, yes. they avoided the swimming altogether in, yes. in Madness Returns, <laughs> and I think clearly that must be a reaction to American McGee's Alice because... I've I've heard two or three people say that those were the worst parts of the game, and certainly they were for me, the first one. Whereas this time around, I thought, oh, we're going underwater, that's not going to... And then you find actually you're just running around like you would be any other time. But Yeah, it definitely felt more like a traditional platform level. It didn't really feel 
different from any other level other than the looks and the mm. uh, you know the the things around you. Uh, but that House of Cards level, um, it completely just it completely messes with your mind. Just like you know, as, as the whole game like premise is like messing with people's mind. It totally messes with your mind as the player as to how the level's designed. Because with a traditional level, you can see what's ahead of you, and you, you know like okay, I'm going to jump there, I'm going to go down there and pick up this. But because the cards are laying out in front of you, you you don't know where to go. Like you don't know where to run or you don't know where to beeline to so you're always on edge and it's, it's a really interesting mechanic and I've seen it in the recent Super Mario 3D Land when you're running towards nothing in these ghost houses and platforms are appearing in front of you um, well it's like Bastion you know, as well you, uh, with the world developing I was going to say there's there's a yeah. lot of old 2D games with a very similar mechanic and that level also reminded me of there's a very specific level in World of Illusion starring Mickey and Donald on the Mega Drive which mm -hmm. is very very similar conceptually with the cards sort of flowing out in front of you in the sky but um, it was it was good and I think the reason that um, people haven't done that in 3D before is because it's it's a difficult thing to handle without making you do leaps of faith which no one wants to do but there, there is a great leap of faith in this where you jump and then they put a card just as you think you're about to miss a ledge they stick yeah. a card yeah. underneath you and save you at the last second which is quite tense you I can think. jump a long way as Alice it's worth saying you know once you get the, the float um, quite early on isn't it or do you even have it yeah. in the start? You can jump. You can pretty much float jump, sort of yeah. several screens, um, and and you have to a lot of the time. That's that's a lot of the the game is actually spent drifting in the air. In fact, there's an achievement for that, so, <laughs> as there is in Rayman yeah. Origins. Interesting. Well, um, yeah, you mentioned the the triple jump and stuff like that. I was going to question uh, Spicy Horse's level design as a. Mm. As a, as a thing, because I don't think they're entirely confident with their level design mm. and how Alice runs around the level. Um, the fact that she's got a triple jump says to me that maybe they built these levels and gone, um, oh, shit, you know, th these gaps are far too big for what <laughs> she can actually do. So let's put an air vent in the middle. It's, it feels really weird for her to do these triple jump floaty things and have these air vents just sort of, you know, push her up into the sky. And it's, yeah, their, their level design, apart from that, car, that House of Cards level, it, it didn't inspire me to, like, you know... Is, well, is there not a lot sort of it. floating and jumping and semi-flying not to not to invoke a sort of dreamlike state? Is it, uh, it's in the first game as well. Yeah. 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 I, I wondered if yeah. the triple jump just wasn't, you know, other platforms have a double jump, will we'll go one more? <laughs> That's what I mean by I don't believe in, like, their their pure like enthusiasm and confidence in making a level because the fact I reckon they built this level like I say and then they were like oh double jump doesn't work um, <laughs> triple jump fuck <laughs> what do we do yeah, uh, yeah. A, a real a true 3D platformer um, you know like Mario 64 or Mario Galaxy or Banjo-Kazooie their, their characters are designed so that they can bounce around these worlds with you know little you know um, what's the word like obstacles in your way like you know you're not hampered by the controls in any way and I felt like with this one may maybe I was in some well, she controls it, more like Kirby or Yoshi than Mario. But it, it's it's <laughs> the, it's back to the the slight looseness of the game. You know, the combat is is adequate enough and has some. You know, I like the the weapons themselves. So I think it makes it slightly more interesting than just your average uh, third person you know, brawler at that point. Um, but yeah, the the platforming is slightly loose. It, it could be a lot better and it could be a lot more complex. Um, Rayman Origins <laughs> brings to mind. Um, and that actually carries through pretty much every single level. Although I like pretty much every design of each level. Um, the mount, I think there's a Mountains of Asia level, which is stunning to look at. There's a, yeah. there's a statue of Alice crying, um, and mm. there's literally waterfalls coming out of her eyes, and it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in a game. Wow. Um, but it's, it's pretty inconsistent. And here is, I think, the big bugbear. We've alluded to it. 
But this is the biggest problem that Alice has, and it, it overshadows pretty, literally everything else. The game is just too long. Um, mm -hmm. Every level, so you, there, I think there's five levels in in, in in all, and then you have the, the Victorian London levels, which I guess would, you could count as something else. T in, technically in six, because you, you've got the very end boss fight, which is chapter six on its own. Mm. True. Um, yeah, so, so technically, I, but yeah, five, five distinct five areas. Yeah. yeah, environments. Um, and each level is about two hours to do. I mean, it was for me it's because ridiculous. I was going out my way yeah. to get all the collectibles, but I imagine even then it's about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes to beat each level. Um, my completion time of this game with going for the all, all literally every achievement in it, although that was going to add probably a, an extra few hours. Quite a few, yeah. Was, was in the region of 15 hours. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not going to complain about ba games being too long, but it... In this particular sample, it harms the game massively mm. because the levels are interesting enough, but you spend too long in them. And the reason you spend too long in them is because you do the same stuff pretty much in every single level, um, which you know we'll, this will come up I think in a, in a few more shows' time. It seems like they just palette swap a lot of the stuff. So, for instance, you have the House of Card level, brilliant level to look at. At the same time, you have the same ideas in, um, I think it's the Asia level, where you have the Mahjong tiles that appear in front of you. It's the same technique, it's just a different palette swap. Mm. And unfortunately, by spending two hours in each one of these levels, it highlights that over and over and over again. You just feel like you're repeating the same um, techniques every single hour, hour upon hour upon hour upon hour. The, the palette swaps yeah. are different and you know, the areas look you know, remarkably nice, but it just feels like you're continuing doing the same thing over and over again. Once again, I fear that the problem here is not entirely does not lay entirely at the developers' feet. Once again, I'm I'm concerned that this is to do with expectations of reviewers and purchasers, because if this game had come out at six hours long, <laughs> and it may have been a better game for it, it would have got worse reviews because it was only six single hours long. Player. Yeah, single yeah. player as well. Yeah, only single player, no multiplayer. Um, I would I say yes. Some some reviews, yes, but I think there's enough people out there saying this game is just too long. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. those people probably would have preferred a game. It may have been a criticism; it would have been shorter. And some people who liked the game may well have felt it was much too short. But, but then it would have been the uh, this shouldn't be a forty pound retail product. It should yeah, be a yeah. ten pound download. But they would have been a better product. And and sometimes I yeah. think it's it's better for a developer to stand up and say. We will take these criticisms from board. We may even have to reduce the price because yeah. you know, the bang to buck value. But at the mm. end of the day, Alice Madden's Return would be remembered as a better game because yeah. it would have been short, sharp, and you, you know, the levels wouldn't have been, uh, you know, they would have been an hour each or maybe 45 minutes each. They would have blown you away with their design and you would have got on with it. Exactly. Life. As we all said earlier, more impactful. Each, mm. each style, yeah. you know, it would have, would have resonated better because, as you say, you don't just keep seeing the same thing over and over again. I think part of the problem is they needed to maybe chop the levels into two halves, if you know what I mean. Like rather than have one two-hour level, which when you start a level you feel compelled to finish it because you might be missing out on some story or you don't want to leave halfway through because you're unsure of the save mechanic in the game and you might have to go back to the beginning or not. Why not just get that House of Cards level that's two hours long, for example, and just split it down the middle and then like you reach the halfway point and it says, oh, saved. Uh, you can come back to this like, you know, tomorrow. But... With me, personally, I felt like I had to do each level as one session, yeah. and that's not good for a player when they're sort of, they're not, yeah, but they're forced to go through the, to the end of a chapter because the developers say so. How about, 
like with the original Alice, you had a you had a save whenever you wanted. How about we have that here, mm. and then I can come back whenever I felt like it. I feel I felt dictated to play this game by Spicy Horse but, because they made the levels two hours long. And at mm. the same time, I think the you know you could argue if if it had a slightly better combat engine, if there was actually more to do within those levels other than just literally jump, jump, some more jump and float, then jump. Um, yeah. That you know it could have justified its two hour time instead. What event essentially what we have here is the greatest N64 game you know yet to be released because that's what it feels like. There, it feels like this was a a game designed almost back in the in the time of the original Alice. Um, mm. Although we've played that, it just feels like it. The when when platforming was the main thing you could do in a game because that's where games had got to at that point in 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 time, and it was okay to you know if you had a, a game that was 15 hours long, like in Banji Kazooie. Although the, you could argue the platforming was better, that's what you expected. You expected 15 to 16 hours worth of platforming. I think now you expect and collecting. Yeah, you, you expect <laughs> a bit more from games, a bit more variety. So I mean, th- there's even a section in, in, or two or three sections in this game. Although it looks visually stunning, um, where you slide down the back of a snake, um, it just feels mm. like you're sliding down the back of the, the Mario ice. Very the Mario, ice very Mario. Those bits, yeah. What What I would say is. I think they kind of did attempt to split the levels in two because there's five main chapters but if you remember the first one you start off in Wonderland and as, as Liam was saying it's all quite uh, wonderful and, and it looks amazing and it feels like a nice place to be but then it trans- uh, transfers into um, the Hatter's mechanical domain mm-hmm. that's mm. all the first that's level and mm. I was going to say that's all one level which if they divided like the nice bit and then the not so nice bit divide, yeah like actual yeah. divide yeah so that would have been fine with that but I think in some of the other levels like the house of cards you're not actually on cards the whole way through that you yeah. do go inside to go and meet the queen eventually so it feels like maybe they kind of did try to thematically split the levels at least to change up the environments you're moving through a little um, but yeah two hours and I think the the problem with that maybe is the checkpoint system it does, if you drop off a ledge, it puts you back not too far. It's maybe a platform or two before. But in terms of knowing when the last actual save was, mm. I didn't feel like I could get up and walk away from this game without no, getting right. to the end of the chapter. Because mm. then I knew it had saved and a hard yes. you know, hard save. Yeah. I, I, a couple of times I came away from the game, turned it off thinking, okay, I just died and I only went back a couple of minutes. When I reload Bad the idea, game, yeah. that's where I'll start. And I didn't. Nothing. I started a couple of rooms before that or mm. a bit more, you know, 10-15 minutes ago. And it's not often but it's enough to make me think maybe a hard save system would have worked better or mm. as Darren's saying split the levels in two. And then you've got hour long sessions which everyone's going to feel like an hour, yeah, sit down, have an hour's gaming and then step away and you know, get mm. a break. You know? Yeah, it's a bit of an ask in, uh, in this day and age. Uh, sit, yeah, sit there for We're sounding awfully chunks. down on this game at the moment, aren't we? No, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is well, you know, it is the review is the review. But one thing we haven't actually talked—I mean, we we touched a little bit on the the psyche of Alice. Um, this game actually does end up at a rather dark conclusion. It's exactly what I wanted to talk about next. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's mm. <laughs> okay. So uh, we yeah we talked about the game itself. Um, I think yeah. It probably is slightly better than we've actually made it sound, but um, the end is definitely worth talking about. Um, she yeah, traces this infernal train throughout her psyche. Various uh, bizarre adventures happen, but uh, in the end, 
it turns out she discovers that uh, the character you see her talking to at the very start, uh, a psychiatrist, I suppose, uh, Dr. Bumby, um, is in fact the manipulator uh, of her mind. And indeed, the end bas boss battle is a the puppet master, supposedly, although he's actually a sort of in puppet form himself. Doesn't yeah. quite work, but it's all it's all imagery. Uh, the the sort of the the unpleasant reveal is that Dr. Bumby, far far from being a well-meaning psychiatrist, is in fact uh, somebody who erases the minds, the memories of children, to sell them to child molesters. Um, now Alice herself is actually, you know, uh, not a child any longer, but uh, the story even dark, even more darkly. Uh, reveals that uh, Dr. Bumby, in fact, um, was initially after Alice's little sister, mm -hmm. Lizzie. Um, yeah, Liz, yeah. And, in fact, after she somehow refused his advances, I'm not sure if that's actually revealed how, uh, she, he, uh, it was, in fact, Dr. Bumby who set fire to the house, the Liddell's house. So all the, the guilt that uh, Alice was experiencing was, in fact, the, the work of the completely, uh, you know, <laughs> just vile Dr. Bumby. Um, you, there's actually, there's actually uh, scenes, aren't there, where you're, um, you're back in the streets of London and you're kind of wandering around with all these sort of lost souls of the children who have been erased and sold into yeah. abuse. That's the the very last <laughs> section in London. Before that, yeah, it, it, you're you're amongst the streets of London with people you know, and and That's Alice right. is is hearing things in her head that maybe they're saying, maybe they're not, but it's criticisms of her as a person. Uh, but the last one where you've discovered who he is mm. and remembered what he did, um, you you see that yeah, the ghosts of of small children walking around you. It's uh, it's quite strong bizarre. stuff. Yeah, 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 very much. Um, and so the, the, the sort of final boss battle is intercut with uh, a cutscene where she is confronting the Doctor uh, at the train station and she eventually, it, it, as you win the, uh, the, the game part, um, she pushes him in front of a train. Mm -hmm. um, but rather than... It's, there, there's a sort of slightly uh, incongruous... or not incongruous, that's the word... ambiguous ending where London sort of half warps into Wonderland um, the Cheshire Cat refers to it as Lunderland. Hmm. Um, so it's almost like you're left to decide whether she enters this Lunderland to escape the horror of the past or because she's just thrown a man under a train or whether it's simply, oh, brilliant, everything's fine. I live in Wonderland again. Uh, I'm not sure. How, how how did you fellas take that? And, well, the whole I thing. Talk about the whole thing. I read the the final ending bit where she's walking through the very fable-like London, uh, you know, area at the end. Mm. I I read that as she was now sort of free of it all, and it was sort of her bringing in the good stuff from Wonderland into her real life, which is which is actually the you know the the shitty part of her life is the actual real London. Mm. And I, I see her like she's taking all of her sort of favourite things like the colourful mushrooms and the weird sort of wacky design into London, and that's how she sees London now. She's um. You know, she's yeah. been through a lot, and she's mm -hmm. been tormented. So that's what that's what she sees now to sort of avoid any sort of other shit from anyone else in that place. Okay. James, uh, yeah, yeah, um, I, I I agree. Um, the, the scenes, the strange thing about the scenes in between each chapter are they become increasingly more 
um, strange in terms of I mean, at one point she goes to visit a solicitor who may or may not have sort of swindled her out of some of her parents' inheritance. That's and, right. And she goes in and confronts him and then sort of comes to to find the place entirely empty and he hasn't been there for years. Mm. And then the following one, I think it is, she uh, wakes up... So she's woken up in a prison cell because she passed out on the street and so the police took her there, as they often do, mm. to, to keep her safe. But then there's another point where she wakes up in, in apparently the asylum she was in previously... Um, and she's in a straitjacket with a shaved head, walking through various rooms, re- remembering the things that when she was in an asylum uh, at the beginning of American McGee's Alice, um, that th- the procedures that happened to her then. Because mm. uh, what happens in American McGee's Alice is that she's in an asylum uh, and you, you see through uh, snippets of, of uh, text that she inexplicably improved uh, to the point where they had to release her. That's the story in American McGee's Alice. I was going to ask, because um, I'm the only one who hasn't played the original game, Does did this story and the way it ends and the whole Dr. Bumby thing, ends, did, no. <laughs> did, did this smack of a retcon? Um, or do you believe that American McGee had this idea about this evil psychiatrist who sold children to molesters in the first place. No, there, there's no hint at that. Basically what happens is Alice, after the fire, goes to an asylum and for some good time they do everything they can to try and bring her out of her... It's not a coma, it's a stupor where she won't talk to anyone, she won't, won't sort of engage. catatonic state. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and they can't do anything to the point where they have all but given up and she brings herself out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're led to believe the reason she's brought herself out of it is because she has conquered Wonderland, which is what you're doing in the yeah. in the game. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah, and then... Um, uh, but the implication at the end of the game is she has beaten her demons for now. They will mm. return, is, is, mm-hmm. the, is the view of the, psych- of the psychiatrist. Yeah. So in this game, this is obviously her continuing to try and battle her demons with this new... Yeah, new therapist she's working with. My my concern is because although I I found it you know I was thinking blimey that's strong stuff as I say, yeah. um I did wonder if it was almost for the sake of yeah how dark and twisted can we make this thing rather than yeah. what serves the story best. What? Strangely, it it flew over everybody. It was never brought up really in anything. Certainly, in you know you you could expect somebody getting hold of this story and saying look yeah. at this disgrace when it. Yeah. it, it I mean, the whole game probably didn't gather any uh, the attention it probably deserved. Yeah, I mean, it's got a couple of sea bombs in it that I remembered were mentioned, but um, you know, the the actual you know the, the the actual story is much stronger and darker than that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So so yeah, when when you get to the point of wandering through this asylum, it's never really cleared up whether that's something that happened to her, whether mm. it's her revisiting in her mind the place, but then it's black and white, so you're supposed to believe it's the quote unquote real world. So by the time you get to the end of the game, um, I was left a little confused as to what the real world was. But I, I kind of agree with Darren that at the end of the game, once it, the colour starts to blossom around her, that's the fact that Wonderland is now a safe place for her to return to, so much so that she is bringing it into her current predicament. Because she actually changes as well, doesn't she? When she comes out into the daylight from mm. the the train station... She ter- she changes into the dress she was in. Her hair gets longer as it is in Wonderland, and she looks more youthful in Wonderland than in the real world. I think. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And and she makes that change. So it's supposed to, I think, just represent a change in her, maybe in her attitude towards the world, whether or not truly Wonderland and London have now melded or not, or or it's just sort of her her state of mind. Her, her she's she's at peace, you know. Mm. So mm. that that was my reading of it. I wasn't entirely sure. No. And I'd pretty much echo both those. I, I think as a broad statement it, once you've been through a an episode as, as such as she has and certainly in, in the way that you know essentially she was child molested um i think you you take where you take certain scars with you even if you know the situation has been resolved back mm. with you into real life and mm. i think that was just her a defense mechanism from her to to say well yeah sure look you know real life is here and you know we've maybe worked out the issues of, of what had happened to me but as a safer haven I'm going to bring this stuff. Obviously, it wasn't the real world because that would be entirely you know, fantasy. But in her mind, hmm. that was the world that she was living within. Although I think you know you can interpret many of the different things, aspects of that game in, in many different ways. It's probably one of its charms and also one of the, the things where people get a tad confused. But yeah, I guess uh, our conclusion will sort of revolve around whether we think it's worth playing through a, an overly long slightly retro 16 hour platform well, game to to have these <laughs> have these experiences or could we have just read a book and the free word reviews and then yep. probably sum up our uh, yes yes so uh Andy Kurosaki uh says he hasn't he hasn't caned or rinsed the game didn't get very far into it before losing interest hard to say why but it's not a great looking game hmm mm, I, I disagree yeah, with that I, I think we all disagree with that uh the voice acting's a bit dodgy Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's maybe. On purpose, though, is it? is it? Is that by design? Like the fact that the game sort of looks like a stop animation, like puppet. You know, like everything's all everything mm. looks wooden in that game. Like characters' faces are chiselled, like they've been chipped out of wood, and, mm. and the voice acting. I don't know. I think it suits the world because it's all just well, it's mad. Mm. It? It's bonkers. I was. Uh, I'm just sort of impressed how they managed to reunite all the in, the entire voice cast for, uh, you know when there were when there was a decade between recording sessions mm, it, uh, did, all yeah, it, it freaked me out actually when I started replaying the original Alice and I was like yeah. that, that's Alice <laughs> yeah yeah Susie yeah. Bran as Alice mm. Jerry on Munro as a caterpillar Roger Jackson as a Cheshire cat who I think is rather amazing voice um, Andrew Chaikin as the white rabbit the mad hatter the march hare and Annie Long as the red queen the duchess yeah all in both mm. games which is cool it's impressive yeah um, yes, the voice acting acting's a bit dodgy, says Andy Kurosaki, and it didn't really grab me. Um, well, hopefully he's listening to the show and maybe he'll give it another whirl, or maybe not. Uh, squeezy Cheesy Peas, Jake Del Toro, says, I have found myself playing in small chunks as it does get a little repetitive after a while. I think we all agree with that. Um, yeah. If played in bursts of around an hour, it's really good fun. I can certainly see myself finishing the game, but it may take a while. Hmm? I hadn't read that before. I, you know, said chop the levels into two pieces. Or honest, <laughs> no, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, just basically echoes what yeah. I said earlier. Yeah. yeah. And Mentasm, he says it's a proper letdown compared to the first. Uh, I don't know when he. I assume he played the first sort of some time ago. By the sound of that, yeah. um, it should have been a small six-hour puzzle game. As it stands, it has nice art direction, which was to be expected, and substandard, stroke, boring gameplay that outstayed its welcome by about ten hours. Um, if I could just quickly touch on that, because I, I literally Please. played first uh, the first game two weeks ago, and then and then the second game uh, basically over the last week. Mm -hmm. um, I would agree. I think the brevity of the first game, comparative brevity, it, it still felt like a full game, um, meant that I was much more in tune with what the story was, 
I knew exactly what Alice was doing, where she was going and why. In the second game, I didn't, and it's a strange one. I knew the train was there, but it was it never felt like it was explicit that she was following the train to catch it and find out. It was really, it felt very woolly what the actual intent was, and, and that might be deliberate, but there's a risk with it, with with games that are based on dreamy or, or psychological aspects to say, oh, well, it's probably intentional mm. and, and forgive some things that shouldn't be forgived, forgiven. Um, the other thing I'd say about the puzzles were, yeah, um, as uh, Tony was saying, my favourite level in the first game is the chess level where you are in a black and white world and then you transfer into a red and white world. It's checkered, obviously, mm-hmm. um, because there is a battle between the uh, the black king and, and the red king going on effectively the red queen um, and and oops, big pardon it'd be white wouldn't it white king and, and, and queen and the red king and queen mm-hmm. um, and, and you are part and parcel of that and the puzzles very much fit into the environment the chess puzzles particularly in this game and also the picture puzzles just completely took you out it didn't f- it felt like you were sidestepping into this other world I had very, to look up the, the solution to I think at least one, maybe two of the chess puzzles in Madness Returns because I don't play chess. <laughs> it doesn't explain it but, to you. But that's the very strange thing is that in, in, in the first game, you move as a chess piece does, so you need to know the rules of chess. In yeah. this one, you, you you just move forward. It's very odd. It's it's, it's not really chess, and, and the rooks well, stay still and the knights move, but, oh yeah. I think but the they just the move one square. Is that they the first time when you enter those chess pieces, it moves the first move for you. So you yep. understand the concept of how that mm-hmm. that piece moves, and then it's for you then to take off you know, over at that yeah. point. So I was probably being loose. thick. Basically, if anyone ever shows chess to me, I me- immediately sort of <laughs> my brain seizes up and I go, "Nope, do not want to understand." <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very strange, and it just and the, and the picture puzzles felt very indicative of the. This is just here to to stop me for. Five ten minutes. Well, I'd actually forgotten those were even in it. I'd yeah. completely blanked those from my and, mind. And and they're very easy as well because I normally struggle yeah. with those for some reason. That, like uh, a Rubik's cube, I just go around in circles and never really get to the solution. They are very easy. Mm, I thought. Mm, yeah. There's obviously an acknowledgement from them as well that they they knew that they were probably over overstretching some of their concept because you have these 2D shooter type levels as well. There's also yeah. a horrendous one in Alice Madden Return where you have to roll this skull down. This like oh, <laughs> God. Um, pachinko machine. Yeah, pachinko yeah machine, the last which, one of those was... Um, yeah, with terrible one. physics. Yeah, Terrible, yeah. terrible. And it actually takes There's you out of the, the experience rather than uh, add anything to the game. In fact, it becomes more annoying. But so the, clearly they know that you know they needed more variety, but the variety that they added wasn't particularly interesting. In no, itself. I'd have rather had another fight. The, 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 I can't believe they made a monkey ball game worse than monkey ball 2 <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just ridiculous yeah. that, especially that when you were when attention. you were in a third person behind the skull view when you were side on you could almost say okay I know what I'm doing here but for a couple of right, sections yeah. you went behind sort of sonic 3d style oh, behind yeah. the skull and it was atrocious you <laughs> couldn't really see what distance the swinging mallets that were going to knock you off were at and no. you couldn't really judge but you had absolute nice control over it it was very very odd um, th- those aspects of the game, uh, and, and also the collectibles, the the combat, the 2D sections, and the fact that it was slightly deranged and, and odd, really for some reason had me reminded of Shadows of the Damned. I don't know if <laughs> yeah. any of you felt that, but there was just this sort of off-kilter 
I know what you mean. Style to the game, the fact that it was sort of five, six chapters and, and I was slightly reminded, uh, Tony said the N64 thing, I was also slightly reminded of a, of another game with shadows in the title, that was Shadow Man, acclaimed mm, sprawling, oh, yeah. sprawling N64 and Dreamcast adventure, which, uh, which was also sort of dark and macabre and had twisted yeah. characters and weird stuff, um, but appalling signposting and level design, really, you know, really interesting game, sort of, yeah. kind of a predecessor to something like Darksiders but um, just really confusing yeah. um, and that, that was in the days of games like that and Turok and things that it was just like right how big can we make these fucking games let's not worry if anyone <laughs> ever gets to anywhere in them let's just make the levels fucking huge yeah. yeah yeah right yeah. Jesus so yeah. Uh, before we wrap up ourselves, let's go for some three word reviews thanks to everyone who provided these on Twitter Deny Griffiths Definition of insanity. Papa Blingo says, Bitch is crazy! <laughs> Ryan Ashley. Is it Ryan Ashley. Stuck Ashley. in the 90s. Uh, yeah. I, I, I allowed him that one, even though his his, uh, his word count was slightly longer, but I made it briefer. Stuck in 90s. Count steps. <laughs> disturbing doll holes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, can I stop you there for a second? That, that alludes to that bit where you walk through dolls nether regions yeah it? that is really <laughs> and that more than anything yeah shadows of the damned is just disturbing beyond anything because um you were saying earlier leon that, that some of alice's um uh costumes are a little bit maybe provocative and you could mm -hmm. only get away with it with an older i actually thought in terms of a female character she was very well realized i didn't mm -hmm. feel she was overly sexualized no, there no. are people in the london scenes that are around her that are very awful towards her but that that's shown that that's just the nature of the place she is in yeah. um but in terms of a character she's she's not a particularly well characterized character she's very much just sort of a, a bland uh girl but she is a, a woman who is taking charge of her life and and working out what's going on and she mm. bosses around a lot of the characters where in previous books when she was a girl she was bossed around by them mm. and the point was that she was becoming a woman and was taking charge well in this game she's very much in charge but for some reason that one moment had me thinking what is going on there because you literally turn a corner and it's up a hill and there's a pair of ba baby doll legs sticking yep. in the air and a giant archway yep. opposite the bum yep. basically it's Absolutely. really bizarre <laughs> that, that was genuinely a kind of blimey um, you know it's one of those things where you think when they discussed that when they were putting the environments together, it's like, could we? Obviously, the reason it's particularly creepy is because you associate doll parts with, uh, with generally their baby dolls. You know, their their babies. So you are you yeah. feel like you're effectively walking into a sort of China baby's twat, which is you know not something well, you do. Very every bizarre. Day. Concept of uh, child paedophilia. It's I guess it kind of makes sense. I think it does. That yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe one, that's it. But one of the more unsettling to, things. It just seems to stand out on its own as a real sort of. It, there was no lead up to it. There's nothing else that seems that sort of. Mm. Uh, blatant in it, I suppose. That around that level. And that brought me straight into mind of the two sections in Shadows of the Damned where you're walking across the body of your girlfriend. Naked girlfriend, yeah. Actually, when in, in that case, that's that's a woman and, and it sort of it fits with what you've been seeing in the game so far, but this one really stood out as a sort mm. of... Interesting, uh, the, the, the doll holes are in uh, are in the actual, um, basically, well, I'd call it the, the tool box, to toy box level. Um, you go into like these big... Mm. Yeah. essentially windy houses I would assume um, and so it's with, with, within the kind of kids play area 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is probably very much an analogy for child rape. I'm afraid. <laughs> But, yeah. yeah, I shouldn't yeah. laugh really because it's yeah, it's it's unusual to have a game that tackle such issues. Um, yeah, yeah. Do, does it tackle them? But anyway, <sighs> <Probably> not, no. <laughs> we're running yeah. out of time. So, yes. So, Hall Stream. Yep. Excessive mini games. Mm-hmm. Fury Ace originally came up with a six-word review until I chastised him. And then Count Stex abbreviated it to Funland Nigh Wonderland. And finally, we have from uh, Steve Norman, Alice returns. Madness. Um, who knows? We haven't really, uh, you know, we haven't done a, a literary critique on how this relates to Lewis Carroll's Alice because we're not, we're not literary critics, um, and uh, I haven't read the book recently enough to attempt that anyway. I, no. I'm interested. I'd be interested to know what he would have made of it. I suspect he would have hated it, but mm. uh, who knows? I think um, we have sort of tackled it just by simply saying that this is very much American McGee's version of that. It's. It, it plays with the characters and the world and the premise of of Alice in Wonderland, but it very much tells its own story and is very separate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's recognisable but separate. It's the wonder of being allowed to do anything you like with things once the author's been dead for more the than seventy five years or whatever it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think you know he would probably if he was a games creator, which you know he might have been if he was around today, he would have yeah. uh, rather than take somebody else's work and twist it, he would have come up with his own mental stuff more like uh, a Miyamoto or someone like that so uh, to conclude uh, Tony um, I, th- I I actually think there's there's an element to say that it's a master class in, in elegance in, in character design honestly um, there's there's some really interesting characters um, beautifully realized and some of the environments are com- you know beautifully realized at the same time um, it's probably the reason to come and play Alice Manor Returns. I, I know we've probably sounded a bit down on it, but it, it does have some unique environments which you won't see in any other game. Um, I think that's its unique selling point. I think the story is, is an interesting one to, to tackle, although doesn't entirely um, <laughs> it doesn't entirely work uh, by the end of it. Um, but I, I think its unique look is the reason to play Alice Manor Returns. Unfortunately, there is the issue that the game is too long, and it is a platform that seems to be stuck in the year 2000 from its forebearer. Um, and there's probably better, there's better platformers out there, and there's better combat games. But um, as a visual tour divorce, I think it's a, an interesting enough game to actually put the time in to, to see all the different levels. But uh, maybe don't play it all in one go. <laughs> Darren. Yeah, uh, yeah, partly. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, d- definitely, just um, don't, don't play it all in in a week like I did. It's mm. it's pretty ridiculous because you just burn yourself out on it and end up having like a somewhat sour experience by the end. And while the end is definitely worth sticking for, with the you know the reveal of you know paedophilia and prostitution and mm. all that. Um, th- yeah, just it it feels like to me it's a game that was we mentioned it earlier slightly, but if it. It felt to me like the game should have been a Metroidvania, for, for, to use that mm-hmm. word. It felt like, you know, Alice has got these powers where she can shrink herself and see invisible platforms and stuff. I'd, I'd love to have seen this game, ha- had it have been like a Metroidvania. Like, you're like, you've now acquired the ability to shrink mm. yourself. How about, you know, you, you go back to that hole in level one and maybe it's not a dull hole, but, you know, like a regular <laughs> small hole and um, cram yourself through there. And, you know, you can then acquire different things from different areas. Mm. Uh, the fact that you were just literally just running forward like mm. like a Call of Duty game, it didn't fill me with much inspiration by the end of it. But having said that, the, the aesthetic is really good. And, you know, uh, there are things that you will never see in any other game. So, 
Yeah, um, pick it up if you see it cheap enough, but just just play it in well, small bursts. What people should realise, this is running on running the Unreal Engine, and stuff they do on this engine, comparatively to how we've seen the fairly bland environments of many yeah. other games, <laughs> it's a breath of it's a breath of fresh air, honestly. Yeah, it's not grey and brown. Oh no, it's, no. it's very no. colourful. James. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, if you are interested in psychological stories um, or have an interest in, in Lewis Carroll's Alice um, and seeing it told maybe slightly differently, um, then absolutely, yeah, pick it up. Uh, if, and, and if you, you're interested in seeing a, an aesthetic that is very unique and different, then absolutely pick it up. But if you're the sort of person for whom repetitive slightly maybe not for everyone gameplay uh, is going to put you off then it's 15 hours of your life you're probably not going to appreciate having taken up Um, I enjoyed it Um, but yeah with that caveat I think Mm. yeah I I only rented it as I say I didn't play the first game Um, I played it in a a relatively short period but that was um, that wasn't for the show at that point it was simply because it had arrived on rental and I did enjoy it despite all the flaws that we've mentioned Uh, it's quite memorable simply because it does stand out as being something a little different you know it's not space marines it's not soldiers Uh, it's it's a young woman in a genuinely bizarre environment and um, yeah for all for all the criticisms of the controls and and stuff there is some enjoyable platforming in there there is is some enjoyable combat in there it's certainly not I didn't find, even though it is long, I didn't find it a chore as such, and I did sort of want to see the next level, see what the next level looked like, and and what was going to happen next. So uh, obviously this will be a recurring thing because of the nature of the games we cover. But uh, I, I reckon this game was probably full price for about three and a half days, uh, and is now widely available, cheap or it's about secondhand. £15 now. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that, that seems you know pound an hour seems like a very reasonable investment. Oh, very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, especially if you know in this current slight drought that we're in, you fancy getting your teeth into something. So to wrap up, then uh, forthcoming show topics are going to include uh, next week Rayman Origins. Following that, Oddworld Strangers Wrath. Following that, Mass Effect and Mass Effect Two, and following that. Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake That's a fairly big lineup. <laughs> yeah oh my God. Um, Of course you can now get involved with the show via the forum email and Twitter and if you are going to leave three word reviews please add it's the CRTWR hashtag uh, that sounds long but it, it's pretty simple um, mainly because it, it would have seemed that some of the replies that have been sent to us have just been lost in the ether Hmm. Yeah, if you add the hashtag, it seems that Twitter uh, has a better chance of actually finding them for us. Cool. Yeah, and uh, we know that uh, more and more people are sort of doing the play along with Kane and Rince games, so bear those in mind, those games that we're we're doing in future, and Mm -hmm. get them played in advance so that when we spoil them, uh, you're already there armed with the knowledge. Um, Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake are to be found on your Metal Gear... Uh, HD collection disc on the Metal Gear Solid 3 part in the menu there so uh, have a look at those and check them out our blog is of course at canarince.com plenty of videos going up at the moment thanks enormous thanks to uh, regular podcast contributors as well Josh Garrity and this here Darren Gargett uh, we've got uh, recently had a couple tying into podcasts gone up there we've had Red Dead Redemption 
and Bayonetta. Um, we got some more coming up, other, uh, other that tie in with previous past podcasts. Um, Darren, you got anything lined up for us? Um, uh, the Dust Force one is it'll probably be next okay. week. Uh, I know that's got a lot of coverage from loads of other. Yeah, places, I, I hear about this game. It sounds interesting. It's it's brilliant. I'd definitely recommend checking out either the, you know the Quick Wins or somewhere mm-hmm. else. Uh, no, there's no the other quick websites wins. out there. Yeah. No, yeah, the Quick Wins <laughs> definitely check that out. Um, yeah, and I've been I've been doing loads of Half Life ones. I'm going to say it now, but when they get released is a is you know it's up to it's up to whether we tie it with the podcast when that ever happens mm. or or not. Um, but yeah, the, the Half Life saga has, has been it's been done. Fantastic. <laughs> you, you so, so look forward to that. It's our appetite with Portal Two. So. Yeah. God, that mm. looks good on the PC. <laughs> yeah, lots of it? lovely particles. Kane <laughs> uh, and Rince is part of the Carrot Select Network. Come join in the discussion at www.carrotselect.net forward slash forum. Yes, yeah, picking up again there now after a sort of winter lull. Uh, there's lots of conversation, quite a few new posters as well. So it's a friendly place. Do come along and join us. Sign up and get chatting. You can also leave your comments on there, as we say, for the forthcoming podcasts. You can also tweet us, Twitter at Kane and Rince. Email us at Kane and Rince at gmail.com. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kane and Rince. And as ever, your iTunes subscriptions and reviews and ratings are extremely welcome. Now, one last thing. Uh, the last issue of the podcast, Red Dead Redemption, was the final one where uh, Jay Taylor was a member of the crew and uh, the last one that he'll edit. Uh, Jay's decided to go off and pursue some other things. We know not what, uh, but don't worry, we haven't fallen out or anything. He's still our buddy, um, but he just needs to yeah, do th- do things with his life that aren't cane and rinse. Um, obviously, this means that we've lost uh, a lot of skill and a lot of man hours that he put into the website and mm-hmm. the uh, podcast. So we want to thank him for all his input. He was there from the start and particularly building the amazing, awesome looking blog that you should all go and check out. Um, Darren is going to edit this issue so you can blame him if it sounds terrible or you can praise him if it sounds fantastic. Um, So yeah, things may be a little delayed or they may sound a little different. Um, Darren's probably not going to want to do it every week so we're going to have to find some other volunteers as well so uh, neither Tony nor I have ever edited a podcast in our lives we're only good at gabbing on so um, yeah we're we're a little bit in flux at the moment having lost a key member of the team but um, hopefully between us we'll get it sorted out it's just a hurdle as Tony said and um, Kane and Rinch shall continue we don't want to lose any momentum so um, huge thanks in advance to Darren for editing this one and any future episodes that he chooses to do for us um, Sean O'Brien who hasn't been able to contribute as much to the podcast as he wanted and to his laptop yeah. yeah because of his audio has also offered to edit and produce and put some shows together for us um, I have another couple of people in mind who may be able to help out so it's going to be all hands to the pump for a while but um, we just wanted to say best wishes to Jay yeah. farewell Tony? Yeah, I mean the the show. Well, the, obviously, the, part of the name that the website would never have been uh, developed in in you know, without him managing. No, because uh, we haven't got a clue. Look on it, and I, he was fantastic from the very start. And hopefully, we'll have him back on the show at some point. You know, it's yeah, it's not he'll, he's not there. He'll overcome. It's just um, you know, he needs some a break. I think. Yeah. When's the Skyrim podcast happening? Because he'll be back when <laughs> for that and just rage at his microphone. <laughs> uh, we've decided yeah. probably once all the DLC is out. To be honest. 
Yeah, uh, game of the year edition, it. something like that's probably. Yeah, two two of the game most of the requested. Year, my ass. Oh, <laughs> Unfortunately, people keep requesting uh, both uh, Souls podcasts, Demons and Dark, and Skyrim podcast, uh, which effectively means that we can't play any other games for about two years just to get those shows done so we we do understand that there's a great clamor for those games to be covered and i'd love to have the time to just sit down and play those three through back to back but uh, mm. this season's major uh, undertaking is um Kane, uh Kane and Rince, we are Kane and Rince, is metal gear solid from the yeah. start um mm. and that's that's kind of the big one for this year but yes you never know there may be surprises uh, if I may, I'd just like to uh, to Please. quickly say I appeared on the Assassin's Creed podcast with Jay, um, but I think it, it may sound a bit, I don't know, uh, a bit soft or, or soppy, but uh, I, it, I just realised when I was thinking about this uh, piece of news that the one person of uh, any of us, but particularly of, of uh, the three founders, uh, Leon, yourself, uh, Tony and, and Jay, um, the one person who has had a hand in every podcast up to, but not including this one, is Jay. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, er- everyone else has, obviously the contributors rotate, but uh, both of you have stepped aside for odd podcasts. But he has been in the background, uh, editing away on every single one of them. So um, Very true. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a, a realisation that I thought I should uh, invoice and say is, is a sad one, but... Yeah. Uh, Obviously, you know, wish Jay well and uh, and hope he will come back at some point. Yes, uh, and, it, and it, appear, it's, sure. it's a it's a good observation. It illustrates, yeah, what a loss it is. But um, uh, don't know whether he'll listen to this anyway because he won't have played Alice and he won't be interested in it. But <laughs> <laughs> but cheers, Jay. Somebody could pass it on to him. Nice messages. That make yeah, it yeah, 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 yeah. It's quite. He's already had quite a few people saying, you know, boo, come back and and he did he did he did do this before with Game of Dork and he did come back so you know fingers crossed never say never and all that and so uh, it only remains for me Leon Cox to thank Tony and James and Darren for this week's input and we'll be back not sure exactly when maybe in a week maybe in a week and a half who knows but it'll be Rayman Oranges all the way <laughs> till then goodbye <laughs>